So I'm wondering if I'm alone in this uh, when I see those pictures of uh, those famous speeches of battles or even those more historical ones like William Wallace. You know, when it's, I am William Wallace, you know. He rides back and forth in that blue face. And I said, I, I've probably seen that a hundred times and I get goosebumps every time. Or, uh, or King Henry V, uh, his speech at the Battle of Agincourt that ended the Hundred Years' War. Did most of you listen in history when you were a junior in high school? <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, right over the head, a hundred. Uh, were we in Vietnam a hundred years? I don't know. No. Okay. That famous speech where... Yeah, he, uh, he talks about going into battle together. The, the, the British army, the English army was much smaller than the French army, and so they were doomed from the beginning, but yet they won the battle. There's something about those things that, uh, that I think galvanizes all of us as a sense in which we're all drawn to that. And, and, and I think it's uh, something that's created, and it goes as deep as you are. As, as far as I cut you... Through the flesh, through the sinews of ligaments and tendons and stuff, down to the bone, all the way down to the very cells that you and I are made of, I believe that we were made to, to exist as a team. I mean, it starts at the beginning of creation. We find the, the real uh, kind of hint in, in the very first chapters of Genesis when uh, the, the word uh, we is used. Uh, for God creating, let us make man in our own image. Let us make humans in our own image. So right there we get this hint that, that even, even this um, God, this creator God of the universe actually exists as a tri-unity. There's a team that's built into the character of God. And we're made in his image. And so that sense of team is built into us at the deepest levels of anything that we can find in our biological nature. And so I believe that's why we, we respond to those kinds of things so amazingly. It's, it's just like It just feels like something is, is right about those, those speeches. There's something right about going into battle together. And that's, that's why when we move down through the Bible from Genesis, um, and, and everywhere you move, you, you see God working with people in, in groups, in teams. He, he begins right off the bat, and he chooses Abraham. Well, at first he chooses Adam and Eve, and he, and he creates a, a family out of them, and he wants them to be his family, and unfortunately that doesn't go well, and so uh, he doesn't stop there. He continues on with Abraham, and he chooses Abraham and his family to be his team. And through Abraham and his descendants, that, that team of people, and we see it as we move down through the history of Israel in the first half of the Bible, we just see this constant team of people happening until we get to Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene, the first thing he does is he calls some folks to be his team. He gathers these people that are early called the disciples, people who have apprenticed themselves to Jesus to say, I want my life to reflect 
who you are and what you are teaching me. After Jesus leaves, uh, those now apostles, disciples who became apostles, sent ones, uh, they, we see them operating in teams. If it's Acts 15, when they're trying to make decisions, if it's Paul on his missionary journeys throughout the book of Acts, it's always in a team, always a team, always a team, always a team. It's because God has created you and I to operate in teams. It's why in the very beginning, we find in, in Genesis, when God is creating Adam, he says it's not good for Adam to be alone. You see a phrase that appears if you go back and, and you, you exegete these movie scripts. You, you see a phrase that comes down through, and it, I think it really owes itself to this passage in Genesis. Because it's this passage in Genesis where we, we get this theme that, that we can live together or we can die alone. And, and that, that little phrase appears in many of these great speeches about going into battle together, whether it's athletics or whether it's actually physical battle. We can live together or we can die alone. God created you and I to, to exist with one another in this in this sense of team. And he's left us with the opportunity to operate in that way. Um, I, I want to take just a few minutes to, to run through a passage in, in the second letter that Paul wrote to the people who lived in the Greek city of Corinth. Uh, if, um, if you're up on history or, or you're up on geography. Now, as Americans, we aren't known for our geography. When we get outside the 48 states, we're, 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 we're pretty bad, you know? Um, so uh, I, I, if you want to come up after, I'll give you a little, I, I found a little, it's like uh, countries. It's like Wordle, only for countries. It's really fun. It's about the globe and stuff. I mean, it's, forget I said that. Um, but I just want to take, there's a passage in that second letter when Paul is talking to these folks in Corinth. Now, you have to realize is that Paul doesn't have a really, really tight relationship with these people. Uh, he had a real contentious relationship. And if you wanted to get your fingerprints on the Bible to understand that, you could read the very early ver or chapters of 2 Corinthians to see that they didn't really take well to his first letter. Um, they, they didn't like it at all. But the fact is, is that he was speaking truth to them. And oftentimes, when we need truth spoken to us, uh, most of us don't really react that well. And so Paul comes back in this second letter and he writes them. But he, he gives them this uh, um, amazing opportunity to understand what he's all about and what God has created them to do and how to live as a team. So I want to take just a minute here. And uh, if our technology works today, uh, I, I, I want us to, to walk through this passage. I'm going to put the passage up on the screen, if they will let me. Um, and, uh, and this is in 2 Corinthians, okay, second letter. And so Paul says here, you know, it, it's no light thing to know that we all we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. 
And so there's this sense in which I think many of us, as uh, we start following Jesus, we feel that sense of grace and he gives us the right to become children of God and we have this sense of, of freedom. But we fail to understand that, that e- even on, on this side of the cross, there's a sense of, there's a judgment. There's an evaluation that takes place. And so Paul's talking about that. He says, that's why we work so urgently with everyone, that everyone we meet, to get them ready to face God. That's Paul's understanding. His his primary responsibility being left behind as a follower of Jesus is to help other people be followers of Jesus. It started all the way back in Genesis when God drew Adam and Eve to himself and attempted to create a family. That didn't work. And so he drew Abraham to himself. And Abraham responded in obedience and he began to build a family. And so God has been about building a family since the the creation. He's been about drawing people into his family. That's why in John 1.12 it says that when you begin to trust that Jesus knows more than you, When you begin to trust that God knows more than you, then you get the right to become the child, a child of God. You get to be a part of his family. And so Paul says, that's what I want to do. I want to find everyone I meet, everyone I know, everyone in my social network. I want them to to have a face-to-face relationship with God. God alone knows how well we do this. So it's not about me judging you or you judging me in this Still, this, this is about me and God. God alone knows how we would do this. But I hope you realize how much and how deeply we care. Paul has this profound desire for the people in his social network to understand who Jesus is. Let's move on. He says, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. So it's his guiding light. It's what makes his life before God so vibrant and and so full is the fact that that he has this center of understanding that God has given him the privilege of having a face-to-face relationship, and he wants to pass that on. He wants to help God build his family. That puts everyone in the same boat. He includes everyone in his death when Jesus goes to the cross, everyone the entire world from beginning to end, anything, anybody that's ever lived, the seven billion alive today, you know, the billions that have been alive before us and the billions that might be alive after us, all of those people get a chance to focus on that one historical event and understand what happened there. It was a cosmic moment in which all of evil was judged and it was put to death. Its power was rendered useless. And so, he included everyone in his death so that, he, so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. You know, oftentimes, I have to ask myself, you know, what's the difference between me and my neighbor? What, what, what's the difference what difference does Jesus make in my life? And, and I have to come to grips with, there are, there are paragraphs, sometimes chapters, hopefully not books in my life, where Jesus doesn't make a difference. He wants to. He ought to. But for some reason, I'm holding back. 
I find myself not being willing to trust that he wants the best for me. You know, it's uh, G.K. Chesterton, a famous uh, follower of Jesus in England, who actually was a mentor to the, the C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and that guy. G.K. Chesterton said that uh, it's not that the Christian life has been tried and found wanting. He said it's been largely untried because it's been found difficult. You know, it's not that, it, it, that it's easy following Jesus. Not at all. And, and in fact, I would suggest that maybe uh, in, in the past five years, it's become harder and harder to really step up to the plate and, and, and really embrace Jesus and the, the teachings and let that come out in our lives. It's, it's been really difficult. But, but, but he came to give us a far better life than, than we could have on our own. Because of this decision, Paul says, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. Paul was, was an anti-Christian. He was a Jew, he was a rabbi, and he was a persecutor of those who followed the way. And, and his life has, has radically changed. It's, it, it's flipped. And so now he no longer looks at Jesus the way he used to look at Jesus. He said, we don't certainly look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Gets a start all over. Created new. The old life is gone, and a whole new life begins to emerge. That's the beauty of, of what Jesus brings in our life, because every one of us, every one of us has this... Uh, Life of deep regret. We've got things we wish we hadn't have done. We've got things we wish we hadn't have said. We've, you know, we, we've participated uh, in, in the kinds of things that cause shame in our life. And we feel things right now. We feel things deeply in our soul that, that causes us to live in isolation. Because we don't want those things exposed. And yet God has built us to live in teams. He's built us to live together. To accomplish things together. And this freedom comes when we experience this resurrected life. We get a fresh start. The old is gone. Now it doesn't just, the, the power of it doesn't just disappear. But judicially it's gone. God doesn't look at you and, and turn, he looks at you as, as his child. In Luke 15, Jesus draws that picture of the son who's left with all the money, or at least half the money that the father's had. And he looks at him and and the father, remember, standing out on the edge of town is waiting for him to come home. And when he comes home, the son wants to sort of concoct some kind of way to earn his way back into his father's good favor. And the son begins on that day to learn what it's like to move from earner to heir in their relationship with Jesus. Because God throws a party that he doesn't deserve. And he gets new clothes. Hopefully a bath, too, but... You know, he, he, he gets stuff that he doesn't deserve. And that's what happens when, when we began to embrace who Jesus is. And we say yes to Jesus and we say, okay, I, I want to follow in his way. We get this new life. A new life begins to emerge. The old life is gone. 
Look at it. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with one another. That's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus is that we have the power now and the freedom to begin to find redemption, to find peace and forgiveness, to find the kinds of things that happen that are unexplainable by human means when people come together and the past is not just forgotten it's forgiven God put the world square with himself through the Messiah this is sort of Paul's summation all right God put the world Square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sin. God has given us the task and given you and I, those who, who choose to follow in his footsteps, to, to trust him and, and allow him to make us a child of God. He, he's given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. That's the message that God gives us to give other people. That's the message that comes in this process. Paul's speaking into a first century audience, a, a, an audience that largely comes from a, an oriental mindset. In, in the, if we could just simply divide things into east and west, the, in the east being the oriental world and the west being the occidental world. Big words you can use at work this week and impress people, right? So one is a collective society Another, unfortunately, as, as the Greeks had more impact on our world, became an individual society. And so it would never dawn on Paul to say that you need to do this as a team because the world he's speaking into is thinking, we're going to do this as a team because that's the way life is done. And yet, as we have moved, as... Humankind has moved west and become more mechanized and become more focused in on packing much more into a day than probably God ever intended for us to do. We've become individual. If we made one mistake early on at Shoal Creek when we began to, to implement an idea of disciple-making movement strategies, we sent people out as individuals into their neighborhoods, into their workplaces. And we fail to grasp a hold of the nature of team. God has called you to reach a certain space in your world. It might be where you live. It might be where you learn. You may go to school someplace. It might be where you work. It might be where you play. It might be your gym or your hobbies or all that kind of stuff. He's called you someplace. And, and if, if you can't find it there, then I think maybe there's another space that he might have called you to. There's plenty of spaces in our city that don't have people representing Jesus to them. Just two miles down the freeway on Fridays, a large 
audience, a large group of Somalis gather in a mosque. And those men and women who are followers of Islam need to have the opportunity to know Jesus face to face. And so God may have called you to some space like that. So where you live, learn, work, or play, God has called you to a space that we refer to as as a circle of accountability. It's where you're going to be responsible. You're going to feel responsible. You're going to be like Paul. You're going to feel like his heart is burdened for the people in that circle who, who need, who desperately need to have an opportunity, a repeated opportunity to respond to Jesus. But you can't do it alone. You can't do it by yourself. If you do it by yourself, it's almost doomed for failure. I, I, I know that, that we're not all alike, but you know, a lot of us can be sprinters. You know, get a new task, new mountain to climb. We're all excited, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and we head some, into some space by ourselves. We're going to get this done. And, and uh, I used to have a, uh, there was a, a friend of mine. He's a f- good friend of mine now. But his, his father had a, a huge wor- a workshop that every man would, would be jealous over. Huge workshop. He did. It was up in Iowa, you know, and had his own wood-burning stove in there. And he had all kinds of tools and things. And, and, and hanging in that shop were 50 unfinished projects you know and 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 it kind of reminds me in many ways how how we we tend to start out and we do something you know I'm going to learn to do this you know I'm going to learn to play the piano I'm going to learn to play the guitar speak a foreign language you know or I'm going to learn to knit or crochet or or I'm going to do ceramics or I'm going to do pottery or you know, I'm, I'm going to take up running, or I'm going to go to the CrossFit gym. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and, um, and it starts out like a rocket, and sometimes it comes down like a rock. It's because we don't do it together. It's because we don't really understand the power of team. And so today, we're, we're ending this series. We've gone through a lot of stuff, like Rob started with bless. You know, this idea of begin in prayer. You know, listen, you know, eat together. You know, this idea of, of serve and then share stories. It's just a, a simple way to think about how am I going to, if I'm going to put my arms around my neighborhood, how am I going to start? How am I going to start drawing that circle? Well, first it starts with simply building relationships. It, it starts with, with creating a community, becoming a, a binding agent for people to connect. And that's usually around food. You know, people love food. Some of us, too much. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about here, right? And, and so we need, we need these binding agents. That's why I think Paul says in that passage that, that you and I are that binding agent. In fact, in some other translations, the word that Paul uses is, is ambassador. We are God's ambassadors. We, we represent Jesus. And, and if you, you struggle with that, then, then you need to, to continue to struggle with that because that struggle is the way 
to the life that Jesus wants for you. It's the beauty of you and I beginning to understand that life is not lived in comfort, richly. Life is lived in battle, richly. You know, we have this word community that gets thrown around. I just love to live in community. But there's this other word uh, that I think Alan Hirsch may be the first one to, to bring it to popularity called communitas. And it's, it's that feeling that you get when you go to battle with someone and the relationships that develop. We see it often referred to by, by men and women who've served in the armed forces and been literally in battle with one another. They've never felt the kind of camaraderie they felt outside of that theater of war than they felt inside it. It's because of that common task, that that commitment, that laying it all out, going for something. Unfortunately, I think we oftentimes choose comfort rather than, than conflict. And conflict usually is the way through. It, it, it's, it's getting there, it's through that, that creates the kind of value that we want, our heart desires in life, that sense of purpose, meaning, satisfaction, that, that real sense that life is, is more than this. And we can't ever find that. It's because we choose comfort over conflict. So we're going to give you a couple of, uh, and we've been giving you ways to, to sort of lean into this, uh, this, this whole series. So if you haven't gotten the, the map, the neighborhood map, just the little magnet that can stick on your refrigerator. If you don't have a cheap refrigerator like mine, uh, who only has real metal on the sides of it rather than the front. You know. um, but, but you can you know, start listing your neighbors, taught you how to prayer walk. What does it look like? Just to walk around your neighborhood and pray for people. And then collect data on your neighbors so you can pray intelligently for them. Then take the risk. Ask them. Tell them. You've got a new prayer habit out. I'm, I'm just praying for people in our neighborhood. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Are they going to think you're weird? Yeah, they will. People just don't walk around asking, you know, if there's anything you can pray about. But, but will they be fundamentally sort of impressed or, 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 or have a, a sense of, of a spirituality impressed on them? Yes, they will. I have never in my life had anyone say they don't need prayer. Everyone wants to be prayed for. And, and so that idea of beginning in small steps to step out, know your neighbors, begin to pray for them. Possibly in, create some kind of neighborhood block party or something this summer. How people could come together. But you know, you, you got to do it in a team. And so we want to offer you one more thing today. We want to give you one opportunity to figure out. And you're thinking, who's my team? I, I, I don't know in my, my neighborhood. So to, to help that out, uh, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to... Text a number. Um, you know the number around here that, that Justin's always talking about? 844-506-4637. That's 844. Oh, I can't do it. Um, I don't know how those radio people do it. Um, if you want to just text the word, you say, I, I would like to see if there are any teammates I don't know in my area. 
So we're just trying to do this. It's a private thing. It's not going to be out on the internet. It's not going to be published, you know. So people come knocking at your door. But, but if you text the word address to that number, we'll start a process where you can give us your address and we can begin to match you with people who might live near you who might be potential teammates. Now, I get it. Not everybody likes everybody. And so, you know, you got you to gotta take a few swings at this. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. We find people, you know, go to groups and it's like, oh, man, I'm never going back to that group again. You know, and, and there are, you know, there are people in groups that suck the air out of the room. And it's like, I don't want to go back there. You know, I get that. But the fact is, is that if you need help finding teammates, if you think where it's lived, God's calling me, I, I want to I think about, I, I want to risk the idea of making a category in my decision-making spreadsheet to say, there might be an opportunity for me to take a step forward by thinking about drawing a circle around my neighborhood and representing Jesus there. Now, trust me. I know many of you, when I say that, say, well, I'm not qualified. I get that. I know that. You aren't qualified. Get over yourself, all right? Just get over yourself. You're never going to be qualified. You're never going to know enough. You're never going to be eloquent enough. None of that's ever going to happen. That is Satan's lie fixed in your mind. We could spend some time looking at other places in the scripture where God talks about the fact that, that you have everything you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need another class. You don't need another book. You don't need another podcast. You don't need anything to fulfill the passages that we just read. What you need is the courage to take a step. You need the courage to move. You need momentum. And it's amazing what momentum does. It's just amazing what can happen when you get a little momentum. But it starts with that first step. So, so maybe, maybe an address is your first step. Just text address and you'll start this crazy bot thing that will talk to you. It's not a human until Justin gets a hold of it. And then it will be a human. Uh, but it will give us a chance I could show you, you know, I mean, many of you live in the same neighborhoods and you don't even know each other. And, and the opportunity to realize that there's someone three blocks over or two blocks over. So you could text to this address. Second thing you could do is on the second Tuesday night of every month, the Shoal Creek Network meets. Our mindset is about a hybrid church. That is, we have this idea that, that there's a come strategy, there's a strategy that collects people on Sunday morning and we do some really cool stuff and that kind of stuff. There's also a, a, a distributed strategy, a go strategy, where we want to see these biblically flourishing communities planted where you live, learn, work, and play. And so maybe there's someone there that, that has a kind of heart that you have. We have folks reaching out to people in pickleball communities, reaching out to widows. We have folks reaching out to the incarcerated in the jails. We have folks reaching out to, to their neighbors. These folks meet on a regular basis, and they share their ignorance so they can all be smarter because everyone's learning fast and growing in our understanding of what it looks like 
to represent Jesus in these worlds. It, it's a place where you could find other teammates to be a part of a team. Last opportunities, and you're maybe saying, my neighborhood's lost, and it's, 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 it's a lost cause. Now, I, I would love to get you over that thought, okay? Because nothing's ever a lost cause with Jesus. But there are plenty of opportunities when we gather on Sundays for you to take a first step. Justin mentioned up here, you know, the technical arts, you could just shadow some folks, build some relationships, get a part of a team, feel the team spirit. Maybe for you it's like this summer in the kids' ministry when we collect all the kids in one space. I guarantee you it's going to be a, a lot more fun than in here. And, and it, it will be fun and creative and crazy and you'll come out of there going, wow, I'm learning more over here than I ever learned in this thing. And, and you, you'll build some relationships. You'll get some team. You'll get the feel of team. You'll, you'll get this sense of what it's like. You know, some of you have hidden talents, and you can sing, and you can play, and you can act, and all that kind of There's these folks in front of you every day. They're, they're not special. I mean, trust me, they're not. I mean, some of, the, some of them are really goofy. You only have to show up here early on Sunday morning to see that. But they've just simply took a step. They took a step. You know, that young girl sang the first song she'd never sang in front of anybody in her life, except in the shower. Until she came here. The guy running the lights up there, Greg Rogers, he, he never did anything like that until he came here. And now he actually is an expert in our city in lighting because of what he's learned here. You know, it, it's amazing what happens when you just take a step. But I could tell you that, but I'm going to use... Um, a renowned theologian, to, to help you understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, this renowned theologian is sometimes known as a comedian, Kevin James. And uh, maybe you've seen this in this movie, but, uh, but he wraps up everything that I've been trying to talk about in this scene. What's going on, Mr. Voss? Biology, Derek. Fair enough. Can someone tell me what happens when a cell stagnates? Okay, no one's listening to me. I will try again. Anyone know what happens to a stagnant cell? What's he doing on the table? I don't know, something about cells. Malia. It's not good. Did you hear that? It ain't good. People, a cell that is not in motion is not a productive member of the system. It ends up assuming all the other cells are going to pick up the slack somewhere, but they don't. In fact, they imitate the stray cell until basically the whole organism begins to die. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Biology is an amazing thing. And here's the good news. All that decays can be restored. It's just hitting anybody. Like how a cut heals. 
like how it cut heals. Brian, my man. Oh, you got one. And once that cell is back on track, it creates energy amongst the other cells. That's what happens. It starts getting a little movement going. It gets a little rumble. Can I get a little rumble from everybody? Everybody just rumble in your seats right now for me. Just rumble a little bit. Okay, no rumble. That's fine. I'll be the lone rumbler up here. That's what I am. I'm a lone rumbler. But then the cell starts banging into the other cells. And the cells push back and go, hey, what are you doing to me? They hit into another one. Hey, don't do that to me. That's my friend. You don't even know him. You don't know me either. beginning of the restorative process. So now, even if the entire system is close to dead, what happens? Martinez, come on, give me something. Oh no, not today. Oh no, not in my house. No, 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 no. Look out, here we come. Don't look up my pant leg, Derek. You're better than that. I'm right over you. Come on, man. What do you say? If all the cells work together, what will happen? Entire system is healed. Exactly. That is a sick dragon. Yeah! All the cells work together. The entire system is healed. You know, your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, uh, you, this city, the larger metropolitan area, the city of Kansas City. You know, if every man, woman, and child had a repeated opportunity to see, to hear, to experience, and respond to Jesus. It might be the closest to answering the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he said, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. That was his hope. When the entire system starts to play, the entire thing can be healed. That's what Jesus has called you and I to. Let's pray. Father, in that last command that you gave us to, to make disciples wherever we go, to, to invite people to apprentice their life to you, to begin the steps of following you, and learn to obey all that you commanded. Our world looks different. It is sad to think that, that a movement that started with the most supreme act of love at the very core is now one of the most hated institutions on the face of the earth. Why is that, Father? Why is that that such, such negativity around the, the word church? We fixated on buildings, we fixated on, on names of stuff, and yet the core of that word is people. People loving people, people engaging people, people opening their lives to one another, people who, who are those cells that begin bumping into one another and, and create the chaos that ultimately creates rhythm, and rhythm creates redemption. 
Father, give us the courage to believe you. The courage to believe that, that you can do more through us than we think we can do ourselves. Help us get over ourselves. Help us to refuse to believe the lie that Satan tells us that we're not capable that we don't know enough, that our lives are too much of a mess. What kind of model are we for Jesus? Help us, Father, to see that it's not about us at all. It's about you. And the love that you want to extend to those who are not yet in your family. We ask for courage, Father. Courage to take small steps in the right directions. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.